Welcome back to the Smart Report Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Holly. And I'm Ingrid. And today, we will be discussing the eight dukiest dukes. na 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 Smart Report! You'll recall that last time, we ended up only talking about the first four of those dukes in the Elite Eight. This time, we're picking up with the bottom half of the bracket. With the Duke of Claremont from the Duchess War by Courtney Milan facing off against the Duke of Wyndham from Mr. Cavendish, I presume, by Julia Quinn. And the final matchup is going to be Jervaux from Flowers from the Storm by Laura Kinsale facing off against the Duke of Bucastle from Slightly Dangerous by Mary Ballow. So we have got the eight Dukiest Dukes. What have we found? Yeah. So we we've gone through, we've talked about the trifecta of like like what makes a Duke character fit the Duke archetype well. And we decided today that we would dig in a little bit more by talking about how well these Dukes worked to bring more pleasure to us as readers as part of the Duke archetype. Like gave more oomph to these love stories. And so if you don't remember any of these books, don't remember our discussion, we'll have links to plot summaries for all the different books we're talking about and our previous discussions in the show notes, which you can find always at smutreport.com slash podcast. But yeah, we're going to get into it. And Ingrid thought of a fun idea for us to at least have a little bit of reminders. So to open each discussion, we're going to play a little bit of Mad Libs. All right, matchup number three. We have in one corner the Duke of Claremont from The Duchess War by Courtney Milan. And in the other corner, we have the Duke of Wyndham from Mr. Cavendish, I presume, by Julia Quinn. Ingrid, you want to take it away? All right. <clears throat> Starting with the Duke of Claremont. The Duke of Claremont finds himself being unmasked as a pamphlet writer by a plain woman looking for a decent marriage when suddenly they're facing a choice between protecting her secrets or his brother. And then eventually they face their past together and it's happily ever after. All right. Thanks, guys. That was short. Very nice. Thank mm-hmm. you. Very nice. All right. The Duke of Claremont finds himself writing radical pamphlets when suddenly he is discovered by a woman who sees him too well. And then eventually he is able to protect the people he loves. <laughs> all, right. all right not Mine very is... cohesive sorry i was like <sighs> no, you're that good. one there's a lot going on in this book there's there's a lot of moving parts here yeah all right so the duke of claremont finds himself more privileged than he thought he was when suddenly he inadvertently causes trouble for a woman and marries her and then eventually optimizes his use of ducal power oh optimizes his use of ducal power very nice Aaron. <laughs> that, was, that was a phrase there <laughs> Right. <clears throat> We're moving on to the Duke of Wyndham now. Mm-hmm. The Duke of Wyndham finds himself getting more and more attracted to his longtime neglected fiance when suddenly he learns he might not actually be a duke after all, and thus not actually engaged. And then eventually, he pulls his head out of his hiney and realizes he's in love with his own fiance and should just like marry her or something. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay, the Duke of Wyndham finds himself probably disinherited when suddenly he realizes that oh he likes his fiance a lot actually and then eventually he figures out who he is beyond his title mm, good one. that's a good one good summary good summary 
right. <clears throat> the Duke of Wyndham finds himself without a title when suddenly he realizes he's been taking his fiance for granted and then eventually goes all self-denial noble. Hmm. That's good. Self-denial noble. Yeah. All right. This one I think is going to be a fight, but I don't know. Maybe you guys Do you? Fight. I feel like so. I don't know. Well, okay. I guess Wyndham, a lot of our conversation about him was how even though he loses his dukedom, he still sort of epitomizes that persona. Mm -hmm. But Claremont is just, I, Holly texted when we were reading that one and she's like, Claremont might be unbeatable. And I still don't think that might be wrong. I think that might be true. We'll see. We'll see in this, how this fight goes down. But he, I mean, to recap some of our conversation there, he thinks that he is being subversive but his power is so deeply ingrained that he doesn't even realize when he is using it mm -hmm. or consider yeah. the fact that his actions might have more far-reaching consequences than he anticipated because he thinks, well, I'm the Duke and I'm protected. So that's all that I need to worry. Right. Yeah. As long as nobody else knows, <laughs> not that like, <laughs> there might be other things going on that he right. had not foreseen. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the conversation, if you kind of matched up, was really both of these dudes. It's so weird how they always have, we always match them up with just the right little parallels, but like both of these guys, the Duke of Claremont and the Duke of Wyndham, seem they just, there's an unawareness of what they have. And the whole mm -hmm. book is examining like, this relationship with power that they've taken for granted. And yeah. so both of them have such a deep connection to their power that they don't, there's no awareness because it's just part of who they are, you know, both of them. I think that the Duke of Wyndham has to look at his position of power and the benefits that he's gotten from it and what his life would look like without it. The Duke of Claremont doesn't really have to look at what his life would look like without it in the same way because he has it. He has to learn how to use it. So it's like, inverse again one of those things where like one of them is like what's my life gonna look like if i don't have this power what am i gonna do with my myself this is what i thought my life would be and the other one is like well i didn't really want this but here i have it so i guess i better do something good with it it's just mm -hmm. it's not right. quite the same I identity crisis in i don't know how to explain it right you're right it is kind of an adverse identity crisis because yeah. wyndham his whole life has trained to be a duke and is, I guess, happy about it is maybe a little too strong, but he he has embraced this. that, yes. right? And his identity crisis is, oh, that's not who I am anymore. I don't have this title that I have identified with. Whereas Claremont, well, like well, he wants to abolish the aristocracy. He thinks it's he thinks being a duke is not cool, basically, mm -hmm. but knows that he can't make that happen because of reality mm -hmm. and so he's trying to make things better but i think his crisis here is figuring out how to use the power he has effectively to fully become the duke even though he's opposed to the idea of dukedoms existing mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah working within like the working within the system to change the system i mean if you boil it down one of them wanted the dukedom and one of them didn't right and it's the opposite the one that didn't want it kept it the one that did want it 
loses it. Well, so, yeah, but it wouldn't be a very interesting story if it's a story about a duke who doesn't want to be a duke and then right. discovers he's not actually a duke. And then he's like, oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, I think this is the key things. here, though. Key to this, this story is actually because part of it is how compelling the narrative is when you take the whole thing and close the loop, right? And so Claremont and Minnie, Minnie shows him what he hasn't been seeing. Like, he's got these grandiose plans. He wants to address some of the injustices that he felt his father did mm-hmm. when he was growing up. And he's doing the best he can, but she forces him to look even bigger picture and maybe consider ways that he can act differently. Mm-hmm. And they go on to decide to create their own limits, right? You don't have to go out in society, Minnie. We're going to do what we need to do. And then beyond that, we're going to do what we want to do and ride off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. And Wyndham spends the entire book grappling with the fact that he is losing his identity and realizing that he is losing this fiance that he had taken for granted for years and actually might have feelings for. And everything comes to the point, we come to grips with reality, and it's fine, but then it's not good enough that we're fine, the king has to give him another title that's now defunct. Mm -hmm. Right? So what does that actually tell us about closing the loop on this story for him? (laughs) Like, he came to terms with being Mr. Cavendish, he realized that his identity wasn't necessarily rooted in being a dude. title. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then... He he's granted another title. Yeah, only an earldom though. So earldoms are old. <laughs> yes, yes, only an earldom. He's not a duke anymore. But you know, at he, I think the thing for him is because he embraced being a duke. He also, in ways that a lot of our dukes have not done, embraces his power and responsibilities politically like he's made all of his connections and part of the issue with his cousin becoming the duke is like his cousin doesn't have those connections his cousin doesn't have the training his cousin doesn't have the stuff so when he's given the earldom again and he already has all of his relationships and connections with the people that he spent his entire life with Mm -hmm. what has he actually lost slash gained depending on your perspective of this story Right. Yeah. No, I, this is a tough one for me, honestly, but I maintain that I just think that, oh gosh, now I'm torn. So what I was going to say was, I just feel like if you look at demeanor, right, I just feel like the Duke of Wyndham has this ducal quality that I just, it just carried me through the book. But on the Mm. flip side, my thing that my my hold up on this with the Duke of Claremont is that it really wouldn't work if he wasn't a Duke. Like yeah. Wyndham's situation examines his relationship with his dukedom. I think there could be an argument made that he could have that same relationship with any title of significance. But with Claremont, the plot really pivots on his ability to get away with what he's doing because he's a Duke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm so, struggling because with one, it's the character and with one, it's the plot. Well, and, but I don't know if I agree because Claremont's characterization was that 
he's such an interesting mix of this strong sense of duty, which Wyndham also has, right? Claremont, mm-hmm. they both have this very strong sense of duty of I'm the Duke and I'm responsible for other people. And that Wyndham's whole story is that he thought that came from the dukedom and he discovers that's actually within himself. But Claremont has this strong sense of duty, but he also has this blind privilege that is a deep character trait. And that's the bit that he has to grapple with. Right. So I feel like it's external to the plot, but it's also very internal to who he is and how he sees himself in the world and what he needs to learn in order to be a good partner. Uh, You're making good points. I think, Ingrid, you might be forgetting. Remember when we were talking about Claremont and I read this one, we read probably the most quotes out of this book. Mm -hmm. Me, I read them. I'm sorry. But. It was, there was the moment when Minnie is describing how he's behaving and he's kind of making this apologetic face that's like, I know I have more power than you. I know I will always have more power than you. And it's a little bit embarrassing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or Yeah, I remember. Later mm-hmm. on when he, I mean, we've talked about he doesn't even consider the fact that his pamphleteering could impact other people he's so rooted in his privilege but also the he spends his wealth he wants to bring down the aristocracy but he buys many these extravagant jewels like right he he doesn't even seem to realize yeah the, the extent he, like, to which he is living in yeah. his power while he trying takes her to paris and like buys her a fancy wardrobe right yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, but then, what? Did, what are your thoughts on? So, my thing is, is that I feel like the way that I enjoyed the books was di- was a little bit different because mm. I felt like I didn't really feel like the Duke of Claremont, and maybe I'm not remembering everything. I don't feel like his. I feel like there was a lot of examining of his feelings about his dukedom and like his role of power, but I didn't really feel like that it became not the point in the end, mm. right? It was yeah, part of I the point. The point it is, oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Sure. So like when I I know it was a part of like his internal processing and stuff, but when I'm looking at how it gelled at the end, it kind of became like his feelings about it became almost kind of. I don't want to say a non-issue because that's not correct. It's not a non-issue. It's just that it it became more about what what are you going to do with it, not necessarily how do you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's not that it wasn't examined, but like with Wyndham, it was, he processed it, he examined it, he made decisions about it, we have a conclusion. And with Claremont, I feel like it was just the the external plot became bigger than the internal plot. That but a, I also feel I, that's like, I, right I understand now. what you're saying. And it sounds like you felt like there was more of a clear closed loop with Wyndham than with I did. Claremont. Emotionally. I, I might argue though, that with Claremont, the arc that we have is he begins by responding to his position in a very immature way where he's not considering the bigger picture and he's doing it. He's trying to make amends for his father's actions and he's really reacting to what his father did. And then by the end of the book, when they decide to use his power more intentionally, and I'll grant you the whole trial situation does kind of 
maybe muddy this because that's a bigger thing at the end of the book. With yeah, his, that's the point I'm trying to with make. His brother, but when they finally get to the end, he's reacting to his position in power thanks to Minnie's kind of opening his eyes to what he's been doing with a little bit more maturity. Right. But I mean, I I think it's arguable that both Dukes start out with an immature relationship to their power and their position and that both process like their emotional processing of their power and their position is actually quite similar in my personal opinion, except that about half to three quarters of the way through it, I think that Wyndham, the plot shifts. And I think that for Wyndham in his plot, it becomes very internal, almost exclusively internal. And Mm -hmm. then for Claremont, it's almost splits again, right? And there's what's happening externally and there's what's happening internally. And I'm saying that I think that in his, the external plot overshadows the internal plot. And I'm not, I don't have a conclusion. I'm just processing it. I, I still don't know which one I would vote for. I am not hearing. I'm not, not in myself. Of, yeah, okay, which well, one's dookier? We talked about which one did we enjoy more? I'm not what, hearing it. Pleasurable. I didn't. Okay, for me, you're right. This is a closer matchup maybe than I thought going into the conversation. But for me, I did not appreciate that Wyndham did that romance hero thing where he gets all up in his feelings and he's like, I must sacrifice everything without communicating with you because that is the noble thing to do. And then she's like, cool, cool, cool. Thanks for addressing my feelings in this decision-making process of yours. Yeah, <laughs> right. Very dookie thing to do, so I don't know what you're complaining. No, it's thing not to do. a dookie thing to do. It's a romance hero thing to do. And I thought that Claremont was a little bit petulant and immature and childish even up till the end he because Aaron you're sitting there like oh he did this thing I'm going to sacrifice myself for you and I'm not going to communicate Claremont goes into a freaking trial and like doesn't really communicate to his wife that he's going to throw her under the bus in public like that's also not communicating and childish and immature both of them come mm. on now yes Claremont has very clear reasons for doing that though. so does Wyndham and mm, Wyndham's <laughs> Wyndham's reasons for doing it are because he needs to be a noble guy. Claremont's reasons are you don't like to the save reason, his brother. It's not a reason. Yeah, he, is, he needs to save his brother, and he's saving his the one he loves. Yeah, <laughs> as opposed like, to just because. No, no, no. He is legit. So here's where I'm coming from. Claremont is legitimately torn between rescuing his brother and betraying the promise that he made to the woman that he loves. Right. Whereas Wyndham is just like, I must sacrifice myself on the altar of nobility because i am no longer a worthwhile human being it's not that's not thing. what it is at all what he says <laughs> what he is is i'm we made a contractual agreement when this woman was a child that she was going to be a duchess and she trained her entire life and sacrificed her entire life to be this person that she's not going to be allowed to be if she stays engaged to me plus if he goes along with the deception and stays the Duke, he is literally cheating his cousin's descendants from their rightful place in place society. In society or whatever. Right. So like, there's literally just no way you're going to convince because me. Nope. I don't care, but just because it's silly to you doesn't mean that it's, it's not like if I just go with what I liked, I significantly liked the Duke of Wyndham better than the Duke of Claremont. I thought the Duke of Claremont was insufferable. I didn't like him at all. I didn't. Really? I enjoyed no. him a lot. Oh, I- he was so annoying. He was so annoying. Because he, like, the part we've talked about is like, oh, well, you know, like, he has no idea the power that he has. But it's not like he ever sits there and he's like, 
I mean, you, he does where he's like, I'm always going to have more power than you and I'm sorry. But like, that's not, this is when the plot splits. That's where I was like, mm, no, because the the point becomes what he does, not, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not, I didn't get that satisfaction the, the way that I did with the Duke of Wyndham, where I'm like, he gets it. I didn't hmm. feel it with, with the Duke of Claremont. I remember ending it and being like, all right, well, okay, that's yeah. tied up. So I didn't, with, it didn't hit with- me in the feels. So for me with Wyndham, I was like, oh, great. I get to deal with this again. And then it ends up that he ends up getting a title again anyway. Right. Which was that part. I get it. It's kind of jumping the shark. But I still I didn't get I got so irritated with the Duke of Claremont. He annoyed the heck out of me. So did he annoy the heck out of you because he hewed too closely to the Duke archetype or because he strayed too far from it or because you just did not gel with him as a character regardless of how dookie or not dookie he was? I feel like in in great honesty, it's probably a lot more that I just didn't gel with him. But I do think that part of it was that I was like, make up your freaking mind. He, I, The Duke archetype for me is that you know who you are. You are a Duke. This is your power. This is, you know, like part of it is the arrogance he didn't have the arrogance he was completely unaware i think he had a lot of arrogance he just didn't realize where it was right yeah i don't think that he he seemed clueless to me in a way that did not seem arrogant that did not seem confident it seemed childish and that's how i feel about that his this is a woke duke yes it is a woke duke and we had we had a rundle and that did not work great for us and of course, that was a Duke who realizes he's a Duke well well into the story. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have the issue and the question of the underlying social politics that are occurring during this period. So the Milan is a late Victorian, right? Wyndham is probably, what, post-Regency? Yeah. like, And so slightly different political situations and vibes in that by the late Victorian period, we've got a lot more of the industrial revolution underway and a lot more political dissent happening with respect to labor unions and so Mm -hmm. forth. I just don't know where we're going with this, honey. Well, and so (laughs) how do you grapple with, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of readers now, especially a contingent of Romance Landia that is very much online, as we say, doesn't approve, maybe approve is the wrong word, but doesn't approve of the Duke archetype because it doesn't take into account all of this other stuff that's happening. Well, so I guess then the question is... Claremont really does, but also succeeds in being a Duke more than we've seen in other options that we've looked at. Right. I I mean, I think the question is then, can we... Can we have a woke Duke? Yeah, it's like, can you have a character who still embodies the things that readers find... Readers who find pleasure in the Duke archetype still like while simultaneously grappling with some of the social stuff that's going on that makes some readers question whether they should be finding pleasure in books about the aristocracy at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a question here. But I feel like that's like, that could be just like a whole... Oh, it is. I mean, look, like discussion right there, but but maybe it's not. Maybe what we're trying to do here is not grapple with this. Can we like woke Duke's thing? It's is he a good Duke archetype? Period. I think that it's important to remember that archetypes and tropes are tools. Mm -hmm. If you're using a hammer 
to try to screw in a screw, you might not have a very satisfactory experience. Not every archetype is going to be best suited as a tool for certain topics, and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that it's wrong or it's bad. And I also argue that there are dukes in here that while they aren't overtly dealing with social issues in a way that this one did, that they are demonstrating more enlightened relationship skills, ways of dealing with other people socially and stuff like that. So it's, is a Duke archetype the right tool for something of that, a social issue of that nature? I don't, I'm not arguing that it's not well done. I think it is well done. I think it's a really great book. I'm arguing that as a Duke, I don't, he didn't hit for me because I feel like Mm -hmm. it was the wrong tool for that. Like that archetype is the wrong tool for that book. If it's going to be argued as a Duke book, if we were arguing it for some other reason, if we were putting it in some other category or thing, then I would vote for it wholeheartedly because I actually like the book. He drives me nuts when I'm reading him as a Duke Hmm. because it doesn't hit for me. So yeah. Do I think that it's, you can't have Dukes pick apart society? No, I don't think that at all. And I, I think this one did fine too. It's just that it overshadows it didn't quite work with the tool that was being used for me in this spe- the context of this specific discussion. Hmm. I mean, we haven't gotten there yet, but Claremont is no Bue Castle. I mean, I think we're all but sitting here thinking Bue Castle, no but that's just, that's just how I feel. <laughs> but okay. Well, but okay. Between Claremont and Wyndham. I mean, does I... the fact that Wyndham is not a Duke at the end make a difference? In the and that's another really good point. This is why I think it's a harder matchup than it looks, because I think that they're both... There's a lot of gray area here. I think that, you know, one doesn't really want to be a Duke. One ends up not being a Duke. So what does that look like? What does that mean? One of them, you know, I don't know. One of them annoys the heck out of Aaron because he's so Dukish that he acts like a dingbat. The other one annoys me because he doesn't seem to know who he is. I don't think he's acting Dukish. I think he's acting like a dumb romance hero who's like (laughs) i have to break up with my girlfriend because of stupid reasons that is what i think i have read i don't maybe this is the problem also i don't know ingrid how do you not have this problem no it's because you forget every book after you read it because i like really (laughs) i have already read 600 books with this exact experience and i am over it like i am over your emotional constipation you can have these feelings for a chapter and then you need to figure your stuff out and go talk to her because she gets to make decisions about her own life thank you okay bye (laughs) i'm over you but this also i mean that's kind of an irrational reaction because this book was written what 10 years ago? It's, a, it's not a new years book. ago. It's, like, it's, it's old. Years old. Right? Yeah, it's old. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like, oh, this is a new book that I've never read before that's doing this thing. But yeah, I I hate that. And it's not a dukish behavior in particular. I mean, plenty of dukes do it, absolutely. But it's it's bigger than that. It's irritating. I can tell you right now that if right this very second, I am very close to voting for Claremont even though I like Wyndham better, but for not a reason that you would think it's because in the end, he's not a Duke. Oh, well, that's okay. The reason for it is this, because both of them exhibit Dukish qualities. Both of the plot revolves around examining their feelings around their inheritance and their role in society and blah, 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 blah. Right. So if I really distill it down, that's one factor that would eliminate Wyndham because he's not the Duke of Wyndham. And in fact, let's say we had the, sequel to this book in the running no the prequel the the prequel 
prequel where the other guy gets the dukedom, then what would you say? Which one? It's the same dukedom. Who gets it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is, is that- it the guy who actually is owed the title due to circumstances of his birth? Or is it the guy who... Because there has- was that moment... Exactly, Holly. Because there's mm-hmm. a moment in the library where the real Duke of Wyndham sticks up for the woman that he's smitten with. Mm-hmm. And there's this flash of like, he's a Duke. Right. It's just a thought. <sighs> Holly, I'm curious. I think you're going to end up having to weigh in because we got to wrap this thing up. We can't argue about this all day, guys. I know. We have the best matchup of all time coming up. So I know the hardest one is last. <laughs> so, like, you guys did so I'm like, there's a lot of fighting here going on about Claremont and Wyndham. I'm like, oh my God, what's Jervaux and Bucastle going to be? Because that's, oh, that's just like, oof. So I, I can only speak of my own experience and preferences obviously mm-hmm. um even though we, we have established that we are the arbiters of all that is good in romance <laughs> we're always right <laughs> always right and i even though the courtney milan book featuring the duke of claremont is a much more melancholy and perhaps therefore less pleasurable reading experience as a book hmm. i also think it is just it's it's a richer story there's um a lot more nuance to his characterization as as a duke there's a lot more there's just a lot more going on in this book and the julia quinn book is pleasurable to read and then to move on from and the courtney milan book with the duke of claremont is perhaps less pleasurable to read in a moment but pleasurable to think about later and it's richer and so for me i'm just like well there's like more going on more to tease apart how he relates to his dukedom is a lot more complex and so i like it more but i am a nerd so i think that's a good point and there's can we coming back to like the what are we reading for question right. and are we reading for a hit of dopamine from a particular archetype which is sort of the substance of our discussion or are we reading for thinky thoughts i guess maybe or because i i would agree with that i think that the julia quinn is very and this is julia quinn in general mm-hmm. not that she's not good at what she does because she is otherwise she wouldn't be as successful as she is right but she punches out the romance arc that is like here are the beats, here is the satisfying story arc, here it is tied up in a bow with the epilogue with the marriage and babies, and everybody goes home happy. Mm-hmm. We can examine this in a whole lot of ways, but the question here is the dookie factor, the mm-hmm. duke archetype. So like, if you're recommending the dookiest of duke books to somebody who really wants to read a duke book, is this it, or would you recommend a different one? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, this is what I'm going to say. For, a coin. <laughs> oh, I well, I wish, but I can't do that because I, I am a reviewer with many ethics and morals. Putting aside my personal angst with the Duke of Claremont, because just as a character, and this is just a personal thing, he just drove me a little bit nuts. If I eliminate the similarities, all the ways that they're similar, I have to vote for the Duke of Claremont, even though he drove me a little bit nuts. I enjoy easily enjoyed the duke of wyndham because of all the reasons we discussed it wasn't didn't make me think i didn't have to like process it it was very archetypical like it just had that little twist at the end do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but the duke of claremont was a duke through and through 
examined his relationship to his power and his place in society in multiple different ways, not just one internally. And so I vote for that one. That's my vote. Wow. That turned around. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, me neither. Listen, I mean, like, we're reviewers. Is she happy about it? (laughs) We're reviewers. We have to review things. Obviously, the way that we enjoy it is a huge factor, but you also have to think about how other people would enjoy it. And so I think other people would enjoy this examination of a dukedom more than the Duke of Wyndham. Although I like that one too. It was fine. They're both they're both good books. I don't know why the Duke of Claremont drove me a little bit nuts, but he did. But the point is that that's how I feel. We could pick it apart all day though. Holly, what's your vote? Claremont. And I say that because he hits more components of the Duke archetype for me than Wyndham does. I think Wyndham is so focused on duty and Claremont has duty, but also some other stuff going on. Well, the other thing is Claremont is less socially isolated in the narrative. So we see more of what's going on with him in terms of wielding his power and doing other things. So yeah, Wyndham I mean, is very and- internal processing. It's true. All right. Well, I'm going to vote for the Duchess War as well. Mm-hmm. All right. We've had oh, enough. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, my God. That went into overtime rounds. Ding, ding, ding. The Duchess War by Courtney Milan wins. Okay. All, right. All right. Let's lighten this up with some more Mad Libs. All right. More Mad Libs. Okay. And for our final matchup, we have the Duke of Gervaux from Flowers from the Storm by Laura Kinsale. Pairing off against the Duke of Bucastle. Big fan favorite here. Um, Slightly Dangerous by Mary Ballow. Let's do some Mad Libs. All right. The Duke of Gervaux finds himself disabled by a medical episode when suddenly he's truly seen by the daughter of a previous acquaintance. And then eventually he convinces her to protect him, help him regain his prior position of power and stay married to him. All right. Go for it, Holly. Okay. The Duke of Gervaux finds himself institutionalized after having a stroke when suddenly he breaks out with the help of his nurse and then eventually falls in love with his Quaker wife while securing his position in society. Oh, that's very good. That's good. All right. Once again, I'm the most brevity is brevity is the soul of wit. Yes. Do it. The Duke of Gervaux finds himself institutionalized again with the keywords when suddenly he convinces the woman nursing him to escape and marry him and then eventually regains his personhood okay now the duke of bucastle <clears throat> the duke of bucastle finds himself alone and lonely at a house party when suddenly he is overcome by desire for a very lively and utterly inappropriate widow and then eventually convinces her that it doesn't matter and they should get married anyway <laughs> <laughs> The Duke of Bucastle finds himself intrigued by an unsuitable woman when suddenly he makes an offensive proposal to her and then eventually sets out to show her that he's the kind of man she can love. That's better. That was cute. All right, Aaron, go. All right. The Duke of Bucastle finds himself lonely and at loose ends when suddenly he becomes enamored by a pair of fine eyes. And then (laughs) I did that for you. And then eventually melts his heart of ice. All right. I think Aaron and Holly need to start this conversation. Okay. So we've been talking about inversions in these Mm -hmm. matchups. 
And mm-hmm. and so I've been thinking about this one, and we have an inversion here too, right? Where the Duke of Bucastle, his arc is about showing who he is beyond his title. It's about mm-hmm. him breaking out of his title, mm-hmm. whereas Gervaux's arc is all about reclaiming his title and his power, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so the... The Duke is strong with these two. Mm-hmm. And I know that both of you guys really disliked reading Flowers from the Storm and that I had to work really hard to convince you that Gervaux well, I don't think you had to work beautiful. so hard to convince Ingrid. That Gervaux is actually Ingrid beautiful. Ingrid can go very – Ingrid is very even-handed. <laughs> I'm okay. so balanced, guys. So balanced. Tell your friends. In her, in her analysis of books, often. Anyway, sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, it's okay. But for me, this is a tough choice. But So I think Flowers from the Storm, for people who enjoy it, and a lot of people enjoy this book, right? A lot. I think there are a lot of people who also really dislike this book for, I think, valid reasons, but. I think it depends on how how dense you like your romance novels. Yeah, I don't want we haven't been talking about. I think for me also there are some loose ends that, or there were some situations that were created that didn't get resolved in the narrative. Mm-hmm. So I think it's not just the prose. I think the people. It sounds like to me the people who enjoy it really like the density of the prose or the way that language is used, mm-hmm. and the emotional conflict. Mm-hmm. between the two characters and i think that is ex- going to be exactly what other people don't like but i think also structurally there are some things that well i mean like we were saying with the last matchup right with the claremont versus Wyndham, and how julia quinn hits her beat yeah yeah right laura kinsale is not interested in hitting the beats in the same way no this is a different type of story right whereas mary ballow is also hitting the beats. Hits beats. And they aren't the same beats that Julia Quinn is hitting necessarily. But she, you know, she's like, here is the arc of the romance. Yes. Yep. So that goes back into Ingrid's question of what are we seeking in terms of a satisfying Duke archetype mm-hmm. in the narrative? And a lot of the a lot of the conversation that we had about Gervaux versus Saint-Cyr, I ended up voting for Gervaux. Because of your arguments, both of you, although Holly was very Passionate. ardent, ardent, <laughs> yes, that his use of his ducal power as he is regaining his personal power is integral to the story, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Sincere is dealing, doing the whole other thing. And I think that's true. But I think in this matchup, I have to knock back to my initial sentiment that the primary story happening for Gervaux is that he he's fighting for his life. He's not fighting for he's fighting for his life more so and his title is a part of that but it's not the essential component of the story. And we're, I'm totally willing to debate this. You can change my mind again, but I think we can't deny that Bucastle as an archetypal duke with Mary Ballow doing that thing she does is it's it's peak dookie peak duke i mean it's and as holly pointed out during that conversation it's basically pride and prejudice fanfic (laughs) so i mean mr darcy is not an aristocrat he's a landed gentleman but 
you know, we get it. We get that characterization maybe to the max with the way that Mm -hmm. the Duke of Bucastle is. Yeah, well, and I think that's interesting. This question of is Mr. Darcy the proto Duke archetype? And then how does that, you know, if we're talking about generic verisimilitude, things in the genre matching, then is our whole idea of the Duke archetype really just based on Mr. Darcy? And the best Duke is the Darcyest Duke. That is a fair question. Was the fair question? I mean, I, and I think maybe the answer is no because neither Villiers nor Montgomery is a Darcy Duke at all. That's true. But I mean, so maybe that's a question we would have to ha- have if you know if we end up with Bucastle versus Villiers, then like, is the Duke archetype really the Darcyest Duke or the most anti-Darcyest Duke, like the most self-indulgent? <laughs> you know. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. I find that Holly's assessment of them being kind of inverse is very apt. I think that in both books, there's a fairly strong foundation of this wouldn't work if it if they were not dukes, and also mm-hmm. that it wouldn't work if this the identity of a duke wasn't part of the conversation. And I think that I wouldn't enjoy them the same way. Mm-hmm. If if they weren't so dookie, mm-hmm. I think the nuance for me was I enjoyed Bucastle because I enjoyed watching him. It wasn't like he changed parts of who he was so that he could be with her. It was that he added depth to himself. Do you know what I mean? He mm-hmm. stayed the same person. She got to see pieces of him that other people did not get to right. see. Or he see just it. became, yeah, he became a more multifaceted person they were facets that were previously in shadow came to light basically mm-hmm. and i enjoyed that because i like that he didn't change and i liked that for gervaux that the duke the dukeish qualities were always there they just kind of came to light they were illuminated the more strength and independence he got the more it shined mm-hmm. and so I think it's it's a tight matchup. And what I again, I think what it boils down to is for me, and I didn't come into this conversation with this clarity, but as we've been discussing, it's okay, well, somebody wants to read a Duke book and I want to recommend a really good one that I really enjoyed that really kind of epitomizes a Duke book. Which one is it? Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't I also don't want to run the risk of like Holly was saying about the Mr. Darcyist character. It, that's not necessarily the that's not necessarily it. The other thing is, we've got Georgette Hare, and we didn't add any Georgette Hare to our bracket because of reasons. But if you look at historical romance, a lot of what readers believe to be true mm-hmm. <laughs> about historical romance is based on years and years of romance authors using Georgette Hare as a foundation. Not that they're not doing their own research, but if we're talking about generic verisimilitude, you know, maybe we're saying, oh, it goes all the way back to Austin, but as like a proto-romance sort of Mm -hmm. genre. But in the 50s, we have Georgette Hare writing these very intentional romances, Regency romances, Mm -hmm. with very clear archetypes and the duke of avon is also maybe a 
a perfect duke with respect to what we perceive because of generic verisimilitude. And he also has this kind of Bucastle. Bucastle has a lot of similarities with him. But it's a good point also that a, a lot of the, our other books don't share a lot with that. And I think the ones we've landed on, I mean, all of the, most of the Elite Eight, not all of them, we really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we go into the final four, we're going to have a really solid selection of four books. And they're, they all have very different story arcs. Yes. So. Although I think we should Maybe table it doesn't that. matter. Table That's it our for discussion next for next time. Mm. But, okay. So Ingrid's question of, you know, if someone's asking for the dukiest duke book that they want to read and you give them a recommendation. See, I feel like this is so hard, especially in this matchup. Because for me, both Bucastle and Gervaux are extremely dookie. Mm-hmm. And they're dukiness is intrinsic to the story and also to their respective character arcs and their respective romantic relationships Mm -hmm. but it would really depend on the reader which book i handed to them this is right yep right like because you know there are some readers who i mainly because i think kinsale is divisive and that you either really like her or she just like really 100% does not work for you. Right. Well, yeah. And so I would think that makes a clear answer for that question. Not mm-hmm. necessary, but for that question of who am I going to just wreck a book to? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, but- this is something I struggle with because I'm always like, but I have to think of every single book that I've ever read and which one is going to like be the perfect match for you and your reading preferences. So let's, I go a little bit over the top. I was like, I can't recommend anything because it's too much pressure. (laughs) But I think if we're talking about Duke books and we're looking at this matchup, Bucastle is going to be the Duke who would probably have the more widespread appeal. And if you're going to talk about this is a Duke book that I'm going to recommend to a random person off the street who maybe has never, who's like, tell me about the Duke archetype. What should I read? I'm going to tell them Bucastle. I think Flowers from the Storm is not beginner duking. Well, I have to push you on that because we literally just had a matchup where it was like, well, which one's the Duke or Duke? And to be fair, Wyndham had its own his own stuff going on. But when we looked at the Duke of Claremont, one of the reasons he won was that he was more multifaceted. He did have more complexity. He did make you think, which applies in Gervaux. Mm-hmm. So okay. like there is more depth, more nuance. There's more complication in his book. So there's more external complication in his book. There's a lot of external complication because he is fighting for his life. He he i was actually as i don't remember what triggered this memory but earlier in our conversation just now but gervaux begins with a lot of extremely privileged uh, shall we say amoral behavior he's having an affair with a married woman and he doesn't care mm-hmm. and one of the reasons he gets institutionalized is because his mother believes that he has been punished for his sins by mm-hmm. being struck down and so this is a little inspi romance, which was also a whole thing for me. I was like, cool, cool. This was fun. I really wanted to sign up for that. But the arc of him is he 
is fighting for his life to get out of this institution and to to be able to control his own life and his own title. And she shows him how selfish and immoral he has been. And he has to come to terms with his decisions. But a lot of this character arc is also him changing his ways and becoming a better man. So he regains his power by leaning into his dukishness. He's like, I'm going to play this game so hard that I am going to convince everybody that I'm still solvent and that they can still trust me. And I'm going to convince the king to come to my party because the king's not going to come and support somebody who doesn't have all his marbles, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And he succeeds. But the culmination of the romance is him facing the way that he behaved in the past and deciding to behave as a better man. Maybe this has slight hints of morality chain in it as well, because she is she is acting as his conscience a little I just, bit. I just this is one of those moments where I wish we had video because fair listeners, if you could see how thoughtful and ponderous Aaron's face is right now and how Holly's eyes are like slits and she's just like, What? And I love it. <laughs> Carry on. So Okay. I can see why you would say that, but the romance, I feel like if you're going to say this is a morality chain, no, it's a dark romance because it's about her. It is also a dark romance. Right? It's about her giving up her place in the light in her community, which is like for her literally in the light as a Quaker, to go live in his amoral space of the aristocracy. Yes, except then she's like, but you have to spend your money on charitable projects because as your duchess, I can help more people mm-hmm. than all his money. And you have to show me that you are willing to be a different person by acknowledging your illegitimate daughter. No, that he I'm wants very to ashamed his- of- No, yeah, he <laughs> does. He wants to acknowledge his illegitimate daughter and he needs this he needs Maddie as his duchess because she can teach his illegitimate daughter not to care when people Maddie can teach his daughter how to be strong in the same way Maddie is strong is strong in herself but she also left because he had an affair with a married woman and has an illegitimate child and he's going to send the child away like she has all of these big feelings about how oh, his so past what you're decisions are coming actually you hate this to... book because it has a runaway and... <laughs> no i hated this book for a number of reasons if you would like to get into a full discussion i would be happy to go over them point by point they were extensive but I, I mean i think that was based on her characterization that honestly made sense i did hate it but i hated a lot of stuff going on there and i was like why are you even together this is ridiculous but when we characterize it as a dark romance it makes a little bit more sense but yeah, I think his personality, I mean, he his growth arc is not only regaining what he has lost, it is also a character shift where he goes from, quote, immoral behavior to a more righteous way of living. Bucastle simply say. shares himself with, Bucastle opens himself up. He has always been, well, 
asterisk, but we'll say he's always been righteous because he is so focused on his duty and his responsibility that he is always doing the right thing. Asterisk, the asterisk being like, except for he's a huge snob about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. But then the question then about the dookiness, tying it back, mm-hmm. is, I mean, I guess what we're seeing is Gervaux, especially in the beginning of the book, has strong overlaps with the rake archetype. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is, I feel is common in Duke books, like Villiers mm-hmm. also strong overlaps with the rake archetype mm-hmm. and come in and then has to learn how to be less selfish. And, but some of what Gervaux has to learn how to do in order to live more righteously, like help other people are just like, those things are not even part of the conversation in the Bucastle, right? Cause Bucastle always does his duty and, goes to parliament and all that but like we don't actually know anything about his politics or his charitable giving or whatever because it's like not even an issue in the book so yeah because maddie girl is who she is i mean right yeah you know because it because these books are interested interested in very different questions Mm -hmm. and i think this is part of you know like we had this brilliant idea of who's the best duke but as we're seeing in some of these conversations, especially in the second half of the bracket where things are getting a little dicier and less clear cut, is that it's really sometimes it's really hard to pull these dukes out of the greater context of the book that has been written and what the authors are trying to do. And Ingrid asked or was saying earlier, like the duke archetype is a tool and how is it used effectively? But if it's really hard to determine that if the goals of the two books are so dramatically different, right? If one book, the goal is to, like the project of the Loric Kinsale book is to explore like what it means to be a sane person, say, right? And the project of the Mary Ballow book is to write Mr. Darcy fanfic. And those goals are so different than determining how a Duke archetype helps those goals. Like, I feel like both Duke archetypes are so intrinsic in the book that it's hard to even tease out how a Duke works better. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? This, you have just like encapsulated and presented with a beautiful little bow exactly what I was struggling with with the other book. Where I was just like, yes. One thing that I thought about was like, man, you know how embarrassing it would be if like Courtney Milan ever listened to this and was like, well, <laughs> guys, like, thank you so much for your scathing feedback. <laughs> Courtney Milan, it's not scathing. You're an incredible writer. I think you're awesome. I just got annoyed with this, the context of this competition. Anyway, and if she would listen and be like, because I mean, like having worked with authors, like having them be like, okay, thank you so much for including me in this competition I had no desire to be involved in. And also, by the way, I wasn't trying to write a Duke book. Mm -hmm. So like part of me thinks about that too, where I'm like, is this supposed to be a Duke book? Or is it just a book that uses the Duke archetype as a tool really, really well? To do it, to do something else that's not necessarily write a duke book that's what i think the courtney milan book did when i look at it with that lens totally different viewpoint it's just different it makes such a difference the lens through which we view artistic endeavors it changes things so Mm -hmm. when i look at when i'm looking at like okay how was this how was the duke archetype used as a tool with both of these books i think gervaux like it was just really adeptly used 
Do you know what I mean? On the flip side, if I'm looking at this as I'm recommending a Duke book that just knocks this archetype out of the park, it's a Duke book. It feels like a Duke book. It walks like a Duke book. It quacks like a Duke book. It's Bucastle. So these are the conversations like it's, this is just a difficult and, you know, it might be one of those things where we kind of have to like rethink some of the questions that we're asking as we go because we didn't think to ask it before we got started because how could you know (laughs) yeah i think that that's the good distinction right is i think that laura kinsale takes the duke archetype and then uses it masterfully in flowers from the storm to tell a different kind of story and mary ballow takes the duke archetype and uses it masterfully to tell a duke archetype story Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, so if that's would the you... case, I completely agree. And I, I also think that then if that's the case, that's an impasse. I'm not sure that you can like be like, well, then it's this one. So I think it boils down to which one do you think you enjoyed the experience of more? Well, no, I'm going to. I'm not sure that it is an impasse. Well, I guess it depends well, on right, what the I'm not sure how this is going to shake out. Well, okay. So here's the thing. Nothing will change my mind about Flowers from the Storm being just like a a remarkable book. But if our question is, you know, we talked about this in the beginning when we're setting up our parameters. It's not about what the better book is. It's about who's the better Duke. And in this case, it's not just who's the better Duke, but who's the better Duke in the case of if we're talking if like the whole book encapsulates the Duke archetype, then I have to go with Bucastle. I mean... As a story, I, th- I think I understand what you're saying, Holly, because I think I'm thinking the same thing. It's like, as a story where the Duke archetype is the focus, not mm-hmm. an element, mm-hmm. then there's so much other stuff being done in Flowers from the Storm that Gervaux being a Duke bolsters all of that. Mm-hmm. But Bucastle is all of that, maybe. Bucastle is all about being a duke then flowers from the storm is about a lot of other sometimes very deeply personal ideas yeah yeah i mean the central conflict and slightly dangerous in bucastle's book is that he is a duke and she is not an appropriate wife for a duke that is like the whole conflict in the book Mm -hmm. the whole you know it's about his whole conflict is about how to show that he's more than Bucastle, that he's both Bucastle and Wolfric Bedwin, mm-hmm. which is a, I feel like a very dukey kind of conflict to have is mm-hmm. who is my identity? And this is the same conflict that Wyndham has, right? Is like, am I Thomas Cavendish or am I the Duke of Wyndham? And how do I disentangle these two when they're separated? And Mary Ballow is doing a very similar thing, except she's not forcing him to separate them. She's having him figure out how to show Wolfwork Bedwin underneath this really huge over-encompassing mantle of the Duke of Bucastle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She uses the word mantle. Does she? <laughs> yep. I believe it. <laughs> That's how many times I've read this book. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I mean, with Maddie Girl and Gervaux, some of the same conflicts exist, right? She is not a suitable duchess, but it's right. not just the class conflict it's that she will be cast she doesn't want to be the duchess because he's a sinner and she will be cast out of her community and there's just a lot of other stuff going on and i think there are times when he gets frustrated with her gervaux gets frustrated with maddie because he feels like she's being unreasonable Mm -hmm. (laughs) she's not 
seeing the bigger picture that he wants her to see. Well, and I think it's also much more clear that there's this big conflict with her being an unsuitable duchess, not just because of how others see them or because of her relationship with the community, but because, because it supports the idea that he is not competent. Well, no, but also the fact that like that she doesn't understand what he's doing, right? When yeah. he when mm-hmm. he's like spending all this money and she's That's just like, one. "Well, no, we can we can save 4 pounds a month if we don't make the servants wear hair powder." And he's like, Four pounds a month. I am going to spend 50,000 pounds on a necklace that I don't need. And I need you to wear it to this party. And she's just like, what is it? right? They just like, she just has a total incomprehension of the world that she is stepping into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, but again, that's like a different, it's a different yeah. level of story. So it's a similar foundation of the concept, but it's just doing something completely different for that story. Yeah. So, so, so do we think we can vote? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I would go with Bewcastle. I, I mean, just as a better Duke book because it's so much more tightly focused on the, the Duke, Duke side of things. Mm-hmm. That is also the conclusion that I came to, okay. even though there's a pretty heavy asterisk for, I think, the Milan and this one mm-hmm. that they shouldn't be r- reduced to just that, right? So like Flowers mm-hmm. and the Milan, both of them. I'm not sure that it's, they need an asterisk. (laughs) Right. That they are maybe building on all of these other Duke books that are just kind of trying to be Duke books and taking the Duke archetype and moving it in a different direction. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, I had Flowers from the Storm winning this matchup initially, having never read it, but I listened to all the people who were like, "Ah!" and even aside from my feelings about flowers from the storm again if i were just recommending a duke book to somebody i would recommend slightly dangerous over flowers from the storm because i couldn't guarantee that a reader would be like oh yes this duke archetype when reading flowers from the storm whereas i feel like right very much encapsulates that yeah she makes the duke archetype clear yes Mm -hmm. here's the duke archetype here's how it works yep here's how it impacts his love story yep let's go true story true story well, all right ding 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 two ding. hours later <laughs> <laughs> we knew this was going to be a long one ding 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 we're all exhausted after the fourth round matchup mary bellow is slightly dangerous the duke of Bucastle has defeated gervaux Oof. can't can't wait to see what kind of flack we're gonna get from that decision <laughs> You know, I mean, I feel like Wilfred Bedwin has his diehard favorite, diehard oh, fans. That's so, true. And I too. think also the interesting thing going into some of this discussion. So what we have left now is we have A Duke of Her Own by Eloisa James, Duke of Sin by Elizabeth Hoyt, The Duchess War by Courtney Milan, and Slightly Dangerous by Mary Bellow. And I think three of four of those Hold up. are historical romance heavy hitters. That's true. Hold up what? Uh, I have Eloisa James and Courtney Milan on mine. <laughs> I know, Ingrid, you're really killing it with the bracket. It's apparently not remembering anything you've ever read works. Just, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> yeah, and Aaron and I are not knocked out. Man, for oh man. Bracket winning. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> this whoop, has been a very whoop. interesting, exciting journey for us. <laughs> I think it's fun that there were some things we didn't expect but on the other hand i mean ingrid when we started this before we started recording she was like oh 
all of the top seeds are the ones that made it into the fight or the elite eight. It's like, yeah. really? And yes, it's true. And Holly, you know, wasn't super scientific about the seeds, but was not scientific was, at all. Was not necessarily random about it either. And so I guess maybe what we'll see is there's a reason that some of these ended up on our list and ended up succeeding and are heavy hitters in the historical romance genre because mm-hmm. yeah. They've got this the sauce. They've got the sauce. We've got the sauce. All right. Let's wrap this up, guys. So next time uh, is not going to be quite the marathon because we're just talking about the final four and how that how that's going to play out more. But maybe we'll decisions. argue about it forever. <laughs> maybe we'll argue about it forever. We only have four books to argue about. Only two matchups. It can't take as long. It can't. Yeah. Aaron said optimistically. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, as I said at the beginning, show notes at smutreport.com slash podcast, and we'll also link all of our show notes for your, the previous matchups if you need to catch up in the notes, all that fun stuff, and let us know what you think. If you really disagree with any of our decisions, drop us a line. We would love to hear about it. We could argue <laughs> about this forever. You are invited. Yes. <laughs> and until then... Keep it smutty, folks. Na 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 smut report. <laughs>